Good evening, and welcome to the October 2023 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, Positive Images here in Santa Rosa has been an amazing refuge and source of support for LGBTQ plus youth for more than 30 years. In fact, it was a first-of-its-kind organization. My guests tonight are three of the new leaders, Kimmy Barbosa, Drew Crawford, and Chase Overholt, and they represent the huge growth of this organization, and I'm really excited for them to share with you how Positive Images is still serving youth in Sonoma County today. So stay with us. They're coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. I love to change the world. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of October 22nd, 2023. In France, police have often showed a pretty lax attitude toward extremists who protest outside of family-friendly drag story hour events. But last week, one activist got sentenced to four months in prison for his protest. 24-year-old Paul Carton was found guilty on several charges in connection to a May 13th protest outside of a drag story hour in St. Sinoe. That's a rural town with a population of about 1,822 people in Brittany. The Drag Story Hour was organized by the city for children ages 3 to 6. The drag queens who participated were dressed as a robot, a princess, and a snail. Carton and about 20 other members of a far-right organization protested the event and chanted slogans, translated here in English, Less Trans, More France, LGBT Degenerates, and No Drag Queens in Public Spaces. Carton admitted in court in September to having used a megaphone while chanting the slogans. According to social media posts, the group's goal is to, quote, save our nation and civilization. Carton told the court that the town's government was guilty of turning children into a, quote, malleable flesh for decadent delusions, end quote. Prosecutors asked the court to sentence Carton to six months in prison after he was found guilty on charges of promoting hatred on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity and organizing an undeclared protest, hiding one's face in public, which is illegal under France's ban on face veils. The court sentenced him to four months in prison and also hit him with a 500-euro fine. And here in the U.S., President Joe Biden spoke at last week's Human Rights Campaign National Dinner in Washington, D.C. Other honorees included Shonda Rhimes, Lena Waith, and Matt Bomer. President Biden's forceful condemnation of Make America Great Again extremist attacks on the queer community is what really resonated with the crowd. After being introduced by First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, the president noted that it was his fourth time addressing the human rights campaign, going back to when he was vice president. He said, quote, I've been here every time you've invited me because, careful, I'm like a poor relative, he joked, and quote, I show up when I'm invited, end quote. The president listed off several of his key accomplishments throughout his presidency before noting that the Make America Great Again extremists and the Republican Party have been trying to set the movement back for equality. He said, quote, nearly every day I get letters, literally from children and parents, terrified by what they're seeing happen across the country. He provided one example from a 13-year-old transgender child who wrote and said, quote, I hate looking at the news, not because I'm a teenager and it's boring, but because it's painful. I hear adults much older than me debate about my existence when they don't even know me, end quote. And also this last week, the FBI released its 2022 Crime in the Nation Statistics Report. This is based on data collected from over 11 million criminal offenses reported to the Uniform Crime Reporting Program. The report indicated a 13.8% increase in reported hate crimes based on sexual orientation and a 32.9% increase on hate crimes based on gender identity compared to 2021. According to the report, incidents involving intimidation were the most often reported bias-motivated offenses throughout the year, followed by simple assault and vandalism. Those three types of crimes comprised 76% of all reported hate crimes. Race, ethnicity, ancestry, religion, and sexual orientation were the top three bias categories in single bias incidents last year. Within those categories, anti-black, anti-Jewish, and anti-gay male were at the top of the list. According to the FBI, the data from the 2022 report covers 93.5% of the U.S. population. And although the number of law enforcement agencies participating in the reporting of hate crimes did increase in 2022, there is still no law requiring that agencies report hate crimes. 
And speaking of hate crimes, police in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, have charged a 29-year-old Antonio Curran for allegedly murdering Kaya Long, a 30-year-old black transgender woman, back on October 8th. Curran reportedly told police that he was working during the time of Long's murder, but investigators found proof to the contrary. A witness saw the man matching Curran's description at the site of the murder just before others reported hearing gunshots in the area. When police arrived, they found that Long had been shot multiple times and was lying dead in the street. Kern's been charged with first-degree reckless homicide and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. A judge has set his cash bail at $150,000. Police have not identified a motive for the shooting. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. In 1990, Jim Foster and Beverly Laird had this idea that LGBTQ plus youth needed a safe place to find support. They created an organization called Positive Images, and it was a first-of-its-kind organization at the time. This was way before Gay Straight Alliance clubs existed at any school. Well, Jim and Beverly have long retired, and tonight I'm pleased to introduce to you three of the newest leaders of Positive Images, Kimmy Barbosa, Drew Crawford, and Chase Overholt. Hey, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much. Uh, it's great to get reconnected with Positive Images, and as we were talking about before we went on here, it's been years since we've had anybody on, uh, and as I mentioned, there was one staff member last time, and it's obvious the organization has grown because there are three of you here to talk with us, so that's super exciting to hear about, but I'd like our listeners to get to know each of you, uh, and so tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to Positive Images. Kimmy, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm really excited to be here. Um, So a little bit of my background. I am originally from the South Central Valley. My parents immigrated from Brazil to this little farm worker town where my dad was a farm worker and my mother, um, she cleaned houses and worked as a CNA and took care of the elderly. And around, uh, I want to say like my late teens, early 20s, I decided that I need to get out of the Central Valley, not only for my education and well-being, um, you know, uh, uh, but also because I was seeking deeper connections with my queer community, which the Central Valley at the time didn't really feel like a safe mm-hmm. environment for. So I came up to Sonoma State and I got my bachelor's there in sociology. And I was like, okay, where's everybody at? <laughs> right? Like, oh, this is north of San Francisco. This is very exciting for me as a young person, um, you know, to just have a lot more going on, especially by way of activism and folks engaged in similar values Mm -hmm. as me. Um, So after my bachelor's, I went and got my master's in public policy with a focus in um, nonprofit organizations. Um, And I knew, you know, I had already been working in nonprofits for quite a few years. I worked my way through college and I knew that I wanted to make impacts in my community. Um, And I specifically wanted to serve um, our community members who are the least represented or the least, you know, centered on. Um, Myself being a queer person of color, um, you know, I worked a lot with young youth, um, young adult community members, uh, communities of color, queer community around issue advocacy campaigns, around policy change. And it was just really serendipitous Um, when Positive Images was hiring for a new executive director. It just felt like such a good move, and I'm so glad that they selected me as the candidate to help um, bring together this, this whole amazing team and bring us more into the future and have this shared vision of what this what this organization can do and what it can look like. Oh, that's great. I, I have to imagine there wasn't anything like Positive Images in the Central Valley when you were growing up. No, and you know, actually, we just barely got an LGBTQIA center. I think called uh, the the space or something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to go check it out. But um, the source, I think it's the source um, that just opened up um, in the valley. So I'm really excited, especially for my siblings, um, you know, who are also queer, to go and um, and enjoy that and have that space there. Yeah. It's changing a little, but it's still it's still got a long ways to go. Yeah, every community needs a space like that because LGBT people obviously live everywhere. Um, And I think we've been really fortunate here in Sonoma County to have so many resources like Positive Images. I mean, it really was one of the very, very first LGBT youth organizations anywhere. Uh, And it really was a pioneering organization in that sense. So we're lucky. We're really lucky. Drew, how about you? What brought you to the job in Sonoma County? Oh, so I grew up actually in West Virginia. Um, I grew up 
coming from about five generations of coal miners. Um, and my dad was from Washington State. He ended up moving to West Virginia, and we grew up there. Um, we grew up with modest means, and uh, I ended up uh, going to college uh, at West Virginia University and also studying sociology and also not really finding much community uh, being a trans and non-binary person at that time was difficult in and of itself, and then being in a kind of isolated place uh, also made it more challenging. So uh, my partner and I ended up moving to the West Coast um, and we found Sonoma County. We found lots of community here. Um, and I ended up getting my uh, master's degree in education and started teaching elementary school, which uh, was also challenging, but really fulfilling. Um, and when the pandemic hit, it became very, very challenging. Mm -hmm. So I ended up finding uh, a position here at PI and it just worked out perfectly to where I have been able to use my background in education to be able to connect with youth and adults and to also be my authentic self in such a supportive workspace has just been really, really wonderful. And I've been here for two years so far and it's just been uh, really great. It's getting better and better every day. Awesome. So interesting that all the way from West Virginia, how did you find Sonoma County? Was it a place that you knew of that had a large LGBT population or did you stumble upon it? Well, we were living in Oakland and my partner started grad school at Sonoma State uh, okay. to become a therapist. And so we luckily ended up meeting a lot of wonderful people and have just a really great community right now. That's great. That is great. So Chase, let's hear from you. What uh, what brought you here? Yeah, you know, especially sitting here listening to Kimmy and Drew share their stories again, I'm realizing the similarities between all of us. I um, grew up in Boone County, Kentucky, which is about as rural Appalachia as it gets, um, and then moved to Bakersfield in the South Central Valley um, when I was in late middle school, I believe, and, you know, experienced all that there is to offer in the reddest part of the state in terms of um, not being able to express who I was and who I wanted to be. So, of course, when it was time to look for colleges, I was looking Bay Area. And also, like Drew and Kim, we were brought up here because of SSU. Um, at SSU, I got my bachelor's in theoretical mathematics and then left college with a dream of helping the world and somehow wound up in wealth management. Um, so while I was working in wealth management, I was spending all of my weekends uh, volunteering, trying to spend as much time as I could. And that volunteering quickly became into, quickly turned into fundraising. That fundraising really got me going down a path of how exciting it was that I was able to repurpose these skills of wealth management and mathematics that I felt like I was using for evil into something I could do for good, which then led me to the nonprofit world and development as a whole. I have worked alongside a lot of different organizations in Sonoma County, including some queer orgs like Amor Para Todos and some vegan organizations like Charlie's Acres to help them raise some critical funds for their programs. So when the opportunity came up to apply for um, this role, Director of Development at Positive Images, I couldn't help but pass it up. I was working for another nonprofit that I really believed in, but this is the passion project, right? This is the community space that I was looking for as a kid that I now get to help provide the funding to make sure that it stays open for those kids looking for it today. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. It's really, I, th I think you made a good point. It's really interesting how much your all your stories have in common, yet you come from some very different places but with some common backgrounds. Yeah. It's great. Uh, I'm not sure who's the best person here to talk about the history of PI, but for our listeners who don't know about Positive Images, it does have a rich history. It was one of the first LGBT youth organizations anywhere. Uh, give us a rundown. How did it come to be? Who created it? And how did it start out? Yeah, so Positive Images started 33 years ago in 1990. It was a co-creation of Beverly Laird and Jim Foster, 
who is a marriage family therapist. Uh, they held the first meeting in Jim Foster's counseling office in Santa Rosa. It was five young gay men who were desperate for connection, support, and community. Um, and there was a shift they wanted to make around the use of the word positive, which at that time was often used as an indicator of HIV status. Mm -hmm. And this allowed them to sort of reduce the feelings of shame that they were having around their uh, identity and help them sort of develop a sense of pride by finding each other. And that group became so popular that the support, they started meeting uh, every week rather than uh, twice a month. Uh, in 1990, they started doing uh, panel presentations with LGBTQ folks. Um, and they also started serving as a resource for high school classes and GSAs, which are, uh, at that time, were gay-straight alliances. Today, we call them gender-sexuality alliances, usually. Um, and in 1990, they also started marching in Sonoma County's first Pride Parade. That year, they also marched in uh, San Francisco's Pride Parade, and we haven't missed a, a year of Pride or a parade since then. In 1992, we started a mentor program where we had adults from the community serving as role models working with LGBTQ youth. We had our first, uh, what we called our homecoming out dance in 1994, and we also started a parent support group a few, few years later in 1998. Uh, which at that time was really important for parents to find support with each other. In 2015, our, our founder, Jim Foster, retired. And then when we moved into an actual community center, before that, we were in a couple different uh, small houses. So now we have our own community center on Montgomery Drive. In 2018, we started our first adult support group. Up to that point, we were serving youth or uh, young adults. And then this year, uh, it's been really exciting because we have tripled our staff just in the past few weeks. <laughs> so we've been through a lot of changes uh, since 1990, and it's been really exciting. Yeah, it, it, that's a huge amount of history. And I do remember the little house over there across uh, 4th Street from where you are now. But you're on Montgomery in a, in a very professional office building, office setting, and for people who haven't been there or, or know where it is, it's nice, right? You've got some space. Yeah, it is nice. We have a uh, big room for our support groups uh, where folks can hang out and uh, people can come in during our open hours and they can hang out and make art. They can utilize our Wi-Fi. They can eat our snacks and make some friends here in our center. That's great. Really, really great. And of course, when PI opened up, as you mentioned, there really weren't any LGBT student groups of any kind, no matter what they were called. Uh, a Gay-Straight Alliance was something that was very new. But now most schools have something. And so how has the mission of Positive Images evolved then? You mentioned the adult group. But talk about for youth, how's the mission evolved now that support is available on campus most places? Yeah, so we yeah, we helped start the uh, first GSA. I think it was at Santa Rosa High School. Mm -hmm. And now we work with about 20 local middle schools and high school GSAs uh, to provide support because most of those GSA advisors are either using their lunch period or their planning period to facilitate those mm -hmm. GSAs. And let's face it, most teachers are already overwhelmed. So uh, they have definitely uh, benefited from our support. We also partner with a wonderful organization that Chase mentioned called Amor Para Todos, which means love for all, uh, to create safe spaces in local elementary schools. Um, we have contracts with local school districts to provide classroom presentations, teacher trainings, and parent workshops because uh, so so that those whole school communities can better support their LGBTQ students. Mm. Boy, is that needed today, right? Definitely. Our mission has expanded to provide peer support for adults. And also during the pandemic, 
we were forced to shift our programming uh, onto Zoom. Mm. So it that was difficult, but it also allowed us to serve people who might not be able to make it to our in-person meetings, whether they have transportation issues or they're living with a disability or experiencing gender dysphoria. Um, so Zoom has been a benefit in many ways. Um, and we've also been meeting in person for the fourth week of the month. So for those folks who do prefer, you know, to connect face to face without the barriers that might come up around technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we also try to keep our online groups fresh and fun. So we mix it up by having nights like a show and tell where people get objects from their physical space and share about them, or they tell a story about, uh, tell a story to the group. We also have nights like speed friending nights, queer media nights, where we watch a movie or a show with queer characters. And we've also had karaoke nights, game nights, and open mics that have been really fun and really connecting. Nice. And Kimmy, you were going to add something. Yeah. Um, thank you, Drew, for just really outlining how our our scope has shifted. Not scope, but you know, some of our programs have shifted to really include a lot of that community building. Um, you know, we know mental health supports are very needed in this county, and we see how that impacts queer and trans youth even more, and adults, of course. Um, so in addition to, you know, the mental health supports and the community building that we've been providing here, there's also this, like, knowing uh, shift in understanding that PI has held for a very long time, but has never had the capacity to actually implement, and that is the desperate need for bilingual and bicultural programming, mm-hmm. right? And that's where this transition is, is really starting to head in that direction. Um, as Drew mentioned, you know, we tripled in staff. We now have uh, 10 paid staff um, and two interns. And um, including with that growth was staff that is um, for very specifically to create and develop our bilingual and bicultural programming. You know, we have lots of partnerships in the community and we understand that LGBTQIA folks come in all types of different backgrounds and intersectionalities. And if we are not helping, say, asylum seekers or folks who only speak Spanish, like how are we actually serving the community mm-hmm. as a LGBTQIA center? So that's been a really exciting shift that we are now embracing and have the capacity to implement. And so I'm just really excited for all of the amazing things that are already in progress here behind the scenes. But when it kind of hits public, like, I just think that you all see a very different face of positive images with that very same heart that it was created with. Nice. Talk about talk more about some of the other organizations then that you're partnering with. I mean, I think we're really lucky in this county to have a lot of different types of LGBT organizations. Uh, so who are you working yeah, with? I- I can start us off and then Drew can talk um, some of these school groups. We have a wide range of partnerships with other community-based organizations, with schools that Drew works a whole lot with. Um, I really just want to highlight one of my favorite partnerships that's really enabled us to be culturally responsive right now, and that's on the margins. I'm sure you've probably heard of them. Doctora Dominguez is the CEO and founder of this group of queer um, therapists of color. So again, it comes from that therapy heart that Jim Foster came in with, right? And has mm-hmm. the mental health like, but really understanding like that can look different, and there's not one size fits all. And how do we do this in a way that's culturally responsive, that's linguistically responsive, to better meet the needs of everyone? So um, this this news we're about to spill to the world. So folks are um, going to hear it from you first. But we just finished over a hundred sessions of individual therapy with our members here at PI through on the margins, and this mm-hmm. is a partnership that is just becoming deeper and deeper. And we're hoping to continue and grow to provide not only the peer support mental health services that we have here in the community building that really helps people feel a sense of connectedness to help prevent a lot of, um, you know, mental health stigma, but also when folks do need a little bit extra support, we can also provide that as well. Nice. Very, very nice. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's terrific. And so how is the demographics yeah. of the youth change? You mentioned that you're, you're offering more services and reaching out more to communities of color. So within the support groups at PI, uh, how are the demographics changed? So I wanted to highlight, too, that, you know, for an LGBTQIA center, we serve surprising uh, amount of folks who are trans and non-binary, right? So when we're looking at all our letter people, we're about three quarters of the folks we serve identify as trans or non-binary. So I think that's one way that it has shifted since 
um, the original days of Jim Foster were really focused on, um, you know, at the time, folks who identified as gay and lesbian uh, young adults. Um, if I have that correct, please correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, I'm getting head nods on my side, so I have that, I have that right. Um, and we're starting to see that shift as well with our demographics. So I feel like the more multicultural um, programming will do, um, you know, the more our demographics will change. Right now, we're um, only about 50% of our folks who see us identify as white. We have QT BIPOC hangout nights, for example. Like, we have programming tailored for people of color who identify as queer and trans. And our QT BIPOC hangout night is once a month. Um, it is super fun. Last time we did a potluck, that was this week and the month before it was, you know, having another QT BIPOC photographer come in and give everyone just really affirming headshots. So it's like the programming has changed, our, our community that we're serving has changed, and I think the more that we share the message that we are becoming more and more intersectional, um, that are, you will be more accessible, I think, to folks of different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... It's, to me, it strikes me as being right on target because especially today, trans and non-binary youth are the ones who are really sort of at the center of the political targets, the social unacceptance, and, and who are still struggling the most. And that's not to take anything away from young gay and lesbian and bisexual uh, kids either because that still can be rough. But uh, support for trans and non-binary students, I think, is really important. You mentioned something about the schools in elementary schools. And I've also heard about programs like PRISM that are spaces for kids who are starting to feel a part of the queer community, even in elementary school. Can you talk more about what's going on with that in Sonoma County? Yeah, so our numbers are also skewing younger and younger because young people are having more access to information. They have more sophisticated uh, language to be able to talk about their identity and just to deeper and earlier understanding of their identity. And so we are having mostly middle school age youth in our youth support group. Um, and our, there are kids coming out younger and younger because of that access to information. Mm -hmm. And, and what's, what are some of the challenges that those very young people are facing? Are you seeing more resistance from parents? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues that um, these younger folks are facing are kind of threefold. You know, we're seeing that in terms of legislation in other states, they're being directly affected by their ability to exist how they want to exist in the spaces where they are legally required to be. These kids are all looking for education and need to have safe spaces where we know they're going to learn best if they feel affirmed and like themselves. So on one end, it's affecting their ability to receive an education if they're not being supported and treated as who they are. On the back end of that, even in states with protections, like Drew was saying, these kids have a lot more access to the internet and information than ever before. And they're seeing this hateful rhetoric and they're seeing it on their TikTok feeds and they're seeing it out in the media. So that is something that they are also internalizing, even if they're in a state with protections like California has them. And then on the other side of that, because of the divisiveness that's been created within these spheres, there's almost a framing that their existence is up for debate instead of being affirmed. And because the conversations are becoming so much more frequent, I think the general zeitgeist around them is that this is like common dinner table conversation. And now all of a sudden, things that maybe in the past, whether they were handled aptly and with empathy, they were handled in private. And now every child's identity, every child's public-facing gender expression is being put up on the news and being shown online to hundreds and millions and thousands of human beings that all have opinions on how these kids are, which then makes those kids, again, internalize those feelings of, can I express myself? Can I exist the way I want to be? Which then we know trickles down into every other aspect of their mental health and well-being. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're so right there. I was going to... Can I speak to that a little bit? Yeah, please. As well? Please. So... Even here in California, we have school districts like Temecula, Encino, and Sonol, where school boards are passing these resolutions that 
require their school staff to forcibly out students or that ban pride flags from being raised at their schools. So these schools are sort of setting a dangerous precedent by placing those trans and queer students at risk of mental and physical health issues, especially if they don't have supportive home environments where they can find refuge from the harassment they might face at school. School should be a safe space for all of our students. And our state attorney general has begun to file lawsuits against those school districts with non-affirming policies because they're violating students' constitutional rights, they're violating California Educational Code and California's Equal Protection Clause. And like Chase said, we're seeing a huge uh, surge in anti-trans legislation across the country. We've seen almost 600 bills introduced that either seek to ban trans athletes, block access to bathrooms, and ban gender-affirming health care for people in some places up to the age of 26. Um, and right now we have more bans on trans athletes than we have actual trans athletes in the United States. Um, and that prevents young people from experiencing the benefits of being on a team and working cooperatively by playing sports together. And even in the school districts where we have uh, inclusive policies and school climate, like Chase said, young people are still witnessing these debates. It's impacting their mental health in a negative way. And we've also seen more people feel emboldened to commit acts of violence against trans people, against LGBTQ people, especially during pride events. So here in Sonoma County, we saw an uptick in vandalism against local businesses that maybe had a pride flag in their window. We saw more hate speech on social media for local LGBTQ organizations and adults and even kids being harassed at pride events by some of these protesters. Hmm. And so what about the schools here? I mean, you mentioned some school districts in the Bay Area. I think there's a sense that, you know, all of this anti-trans stuff is happening outside of California. And as you pointed out, that's clearly not the case. Um, and the violence being targeted that you mentioned and the vandalism toward the flag, we had that woman uh, that ally, straight ally, who was shot and killed because she had a pride flag flying outside of her business down in San Bernardino County. But what are you all seeing yeah. in terms of how the schools are operating here uh, in Sonoma County? So we've definitely heard about, you know, local trans and queer students who are struggling because of barriers like unaccepting school staff, lack of bathroom access, harassment or assault from their peers. Um, here in California, we have lots of legal protections that allow teachers and staff to support LGBTQ students by including them in the curriculum, by requiring uh, teachers to use their names and pronouns, and requiring them to provide a GSA, a safe space for students. In fact, last week, we had some really excellent laws that were passed that are going to help move things forward for California schools. Uh, we had SB 760, which requires all California public schools to provide gender neutral restrooms that are accessible, clean, and unlocked. Many schools have older facilities that have gendered restrooms. And if a school does have a gender neutral restroom, it's usually locked or not cleaned properly or hard to access. It might be across campus or in a nurse's office, which can make it difficult for students to have privacy or to get to class on time, or they might feel stigmatized by having to use the bathroom that is separate from other students. Mm -hmm. um, and so we see students who, uh, who do not have access, who are avoiding eating or drinking during a school day. So that they are, so that they won't have to use the bathroom. So we see higher rates of things like UTIs or kidney issues with our queer and trans students. We also had an amendment to our uh, Safe and Supportive Schools Act, which is going to require LGBTQ inclusive training for all school staff, and this will open up funding for schools to be able to pay for this type of training. That is the training that we provide here at Positive Images. We also have the Fair Education Act here in California. This requires teachers and schools to include LGBTQ people in history and social science curriculum. 
Um, this act, it leaves it up to school districts to determine the curriculum they use. So here in Sonoma County, where we have 40 school districts, uh, that means that many schools are not teaching this inclusive curriculum. Even with October being LGBTQIA plus history month, uh, it's a great time. If you're a teacher out there, it's a great time to spotlight people in our history to incorporate LGBTQ voices into your curriculum. Um, and we also, uh, last law I want to mention is uh, a law that sets timelines for public schools to provide an advisory task force to create initiatives for students. We also had a law that is going to require foster families to prove that they are fit for LGBTQ youth because uh, LGBTQ youth are overrepresented in the foster uh, agency and often end up in unaffirming homes. Hmm. So we're seeing a lot of a lot of shifts, a lot of good shifts in the laws that are protecting our students. Okay, so can you give us some examples of some schools in Sonoma County that are doing a particularly good job? Yes, so we are seeing a lot of teachers, counselors, administrators that are really taking steps to make their schools more inclusive. Um, so folks are working in DEI committees for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, or they might even have LGBTQ-specific committees for their school district. Uh, they're creating policies, they're building partnerships, they're uplifting our community members, they're reminding their students that they're welcome and they're affirmed. And we're super excited to see more and more people in our county become allies and become what we call co-conspirators. So these are people who aren't afraid to, aren't afraid to speak up, they're not afraid to use their voices to protect, protect LGBTQ people who are living on the margins. So we're really grateful for those folks who are stepping up and speaking out and creating those spaces. Yeah, that's great to hear, but not surprising. I mean, you would expect that here in Sonoma County. Well, we're gonna take a quick music break because I've got a song that's very special to me that I wanna play for you for the first time here on the station. It's a brand new version of a song called What Matters. It was written 25 years ago by singer-songwriter Randy Driscoll about the murder of Matthew Shepard. Now that 25th year commemoration just took place this month. And Randy remastered the song, and it's absolutely beautiful. Here's What Matters 2023. You were the brightest angel Heaven had ever seen You walked in with the story to tell And ten thousand tongues to scream And you said Doesn't your heart beat the same as mine? Haven't I told you a thousand times? Isn't the air in my lungs the same? So who cares whose arms I'm all wrapped up in? Who cares whose eyes I see myself in? Who cares who I dream of? Who cares who I love?
That was Randy Driscoll with her original song, What Matters, about the murder of Matthew Shepard back in 1998. The song has been updated this year and was just released. I'm going to have Randy on my show next month to tell you more about the history of the song and what inspired her to redo it this year. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News in Depth here on KRCB-FM. I'm Greg Moralia, and tonight I have Kimmy Barbosa, Drew Crawford, and Chase Overholt from Positive Images. Uh, well, let's shift a little bit about back to the organization itself. I know many years ago when I served on the Positive Images board, finding board members um, and fundraising was always our biggest challenge. So talk a little bit about the board now. Um, how large is it? Do you want to grow it? And then also, where is this funding coming from for these 10 positions that you talked about? That's incredible. Okay. So yeah, our board has really grown since the earlier days. We have a board of nine people now. Um, and I think with the board chair and co-chair and whoever's doing the board develop, uh, participating in board development, it really was like, let's, let's diversify this board with like as many lived experiences, work experiences and identities as possible to really reflect the community that we serve. You know, historically, you know, we've always been a, a queer and trans-centered and serving, and it's also like bringing in um, all of our intersectional identities as well. Um, and as far as our funding and growth, yeah, we have uh, exploded <laughs> exponentially as far as staffing goes, and that was because of specifically two capacity building grants that um, PI was able to secure um, just after the pandemic that has brought us into this position now where we can focus on, um, you know, sustainability and maintaining that. So I'll pass it over to Chase to talk a little bit about that and how folks perhaps can support if they're interested. Yeah. So to directly answer your question, positive images, um, we run about 80% on grants and then the rest is of two diverse pathways, one being fee-for-service. So when we're talking about how excellent Drew is going into community and delivering these trainings, that's a service that institutions, businesses, and public-serving institutions can purchase from Positive Images at a very, very affordable rate for the benefit that these companies are getting from being able to provide safe spaces for their students, employees, their anybody you know mm -hmm. um and then on the other end of that we are lucky enough to be funded um in part by individual donors like some of your listeners probably and we encourage folks to 
really lean into everything happening today and address those issues head on. We know that not everybody has a huge capacity to give, but we're looking to expand our individual donation program because it's those unrestricted funds that allow us to really fit the needs of the community. So if folks are interested in supporting positive images, they can visit our website, make a donation, or submit a check, or volunteer some time. We would love if you don't have the capacity to give actual dollars for you to come in and spend some time in our center. Whether you're volunteering or just taking up space and being a positive energy in the room, we'd love to have you there. We also have events regularly that are um, in need of volunteers. And we're also, for Queer History Month, working with amazing local businesses to raise the funds as well. Uh, we are working alongside Mitote Food Park. We're working alongside Fern Bar, Brew, and Paradise Ridge that are all donating a portion of their proceeds to Positive Images this month. How great is that? It's really important for these um, businesses. You know, not only are they supporting us financially, but simply by displaying that they're supporting a queer organization like Positive Images, they now become an extension of Positive Images. Mm -hmm. That's a safe space for their friends and family to gather and feel welcome in the same way that they could and should feel welcome in our space. Great. You mentioned a mentor program earlier, and I remember we had adult mentors that would uh, come in and volunteer their time. And now you also, I think, mentioned that you have a couple of internship positions. Are you still using mentors? And talk about the internship program. Um, yeah, so we are no longer utilizing volunteer adult mentors in the way we did in the early days of PI. Um, but if we have young folks who are looking for mentorship, they're often able con to connect with our staff people by coming into our center. Because we have so many staff, we have so many role models now, some possibility models for young people to look up to. So they can just come into our center and connect with us one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the internships. Uh, what type of student are you looking for who might be interested in doing an internship with you? Great. So our internships are open to high school and college age folks who are looking for um, some uh, developing their leadership. So they would be involved with our leadership program, which helps run our youth support group. So they are helping facilitate uh, our group by helping create that and allow it to be a safe space for our members. They're planning the groups, deciding what they want to do each each night. So they're getting some extra personal skills, extra professional skills by helping on that leadership development team in uh, in partnership with uh, some middle school and high school students who are on that leadership team, uh, helping run our youth support group. Fantastic. That's really, really great. So for the young person who might be listening, uh, who might be interested in joining PI, attending some of the groups, what are the requirements? How old do you have to be? And also, I guess a really important question related to that is, do parents have to sign off or approve on their child's participation? So we, uh, the requirement is that you have to be between 12 and 18. Um, you do not have to have parental requirements. Uh, let's face it, some parents are not accepting. So a young person might really need to find support through us. Um, so they might not have that parent support. So it's okay if they don't have that, if they wanna come in and join our groups. Uh, they could just email us to get the Zoom link. We like to keep that information private so that we can uh, prevent anybody from showing up who is not supportive. So they just need to reach out to us directly and we can connect them with the support group link. Great. I was just going to add too, and you know, we have, again, like once folks transition out of that youth age, our adult programming, which is 18 plus. So if you have a listener who's like, oh man, I want to join the youth group. I'm 17. I'm turning 18 soon. Like there is a place for you here. We definitely are have all ages services. That's great. And it, there was a transgender group also specifically that was using positive images at one point. Is that still available? Yeah, so we fiscally sponsor Trans Life. I think that might be what, what you're talking about. This is a, an organization that provides 
professional, an annual professional symposium for anybody who works with members of the trans community. TransLife also puts on an annual community conference for transgender people themselves. It's a really wonderful uh, way to connect uh, if you are trans living in Sonoma County or if you serve people who are trans or non-binary. Uh, please check out TransLife. Excellent. Where can people go to learn more about positive images and everything that you're doing? Absolutely. So we have a very robust Instagram, um, which we are super excited to um, publish a lot of community events as well as just very important information about the ongoings of the queer community in Sonoma County. And that username is all lowercase positive images, no underline, just positive images on Instagram. Um, you can also find us on our website, which we're really excited is being revamped to more accurately reflect our new era of positive images that we're entering. And um, from there, there will be many opportunities to visit a community calendar right now that community calendar is being posted on instagram um, so that you can stay in touch with us you know there's always volunteering opportunities as well as educational opportunities support opportunities and just ways to stay connected with your community or the community that you ally yourself with terrific and if you miss those websites we will put them on our own website at outbeatnews.com you can just click on show notes at the top of the page okay and get connected with Positive Images on their website or their Instagram feed. Kimmy, Drew, Chase, congratulations to you. It sounds like things are just really moving at Positive Images, and, and you're taking the organization in a great direction. What a service you provide to Sonoma County. Thank you so much, and thank you for having us help get the word out. You bet. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Thank you. And we'll be back with more right after this.
was pink with what about us well that wraps up our hour be sure to tune in next sunday night for an outbeat extra with gary carnavelli that's at 8 p.m and only here on 104.9 krcb fm in the meantime have a great week and thanks for spending your sunday night with us outbeat news in depth is hosted and produced by greg moralia Our shows are available for on-demand play anytime on our website at OutBeatNews.com and on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and now on iHeartRadio. Find links to subscribe at OutBeatNews.com. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round, and you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCB-FM comes from listeners and from Rocky, the free-range chicken, and Rosie, the original organic chicken. Air-chilled, non-GMO, locally raised right here in Sonoma County with no antibiotics ever. More information is available at rockyandrosie.com. You're listening to 104.9 KRCB-FM Roanoke Park and KRCG-FM Windsor, Sonoma County's NPR station. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Beale Street Caravan is next. 